open our time together this morning with a word of prayer. Let's pray. O Lord God Almighty, uh, true and just are you, uh, and just in all your ways, and especially uh, as you bring uh, your judgment upon um, your people in Jerusalem and then Judah, and from them to all the ends of the earth. Um, you are uh, right in uh, condemning your people for their uh, infidelity and their idolatry, um, but you're also right to condemn uh, the nations around them um, for their rapaciousness um, and their exploitation of people uh, and their uh, failure uh, to exercise uh, faith in you. So, Lord God, as we hear uh, these words of judgment uh, this morning um, from the prophet Jeremiah, uh, remind us that we too uh, stand under uh, your judgment. That just like these nations, uh, we too um, uh, face a cup of wrath, except uh, our cup of wrath has been taken by our Savior Jesus Christ, uh, who uh, in that night uh, on Gethsemane uh, knew the cup that he had to, to drink and what it meant. And yet, uh, knowing full well, uh, he took that wrath, that he took that judgment that our sin deserved, uh, and he consumed it uh, for us. Uh, he took our penalty uh, and uh, clothed us uh, with his righteousness and gave us uh, the standing that we could be in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God. So, Lord, uh, remind us of your saving grace. Uh, even as we see your sovereign power, your universal power over the earth um, demonstrated uh, in this chapter of the prophet, uh, remind us, too, that your uh, saving power is also universal, and you're calling uh, for yourself a people from every nation and tribe and tongue. Uh, and that uh, you are gathering a people to yourself uh, that's innumerable. Uh, so we pray that you would um, uh, give us hope in you, give us trust in you, help us to not just be hearers of your word, but doers, um, convict of us of our sins, um, but give us uh, hearts to turn to you uh, in faith and repentance. Uh, teach us now by your Holy Spirit, may the same spirit uh, that gave words to the prophet Jeremiah uh, speak to us uh, this morning as we discuss this word with one another uh, and as we hear it proclaimed to us. And we lift all this in the name of our matchless Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 25, and as you're um, finding that, uh, let me remind you where we are, uh, what we did last week and where we are in the book generally. So we are in uh, a transition point uh, in, in the book of Jeremiah. Um, as we uh, had talked about earlier, most of the first 20 plus chapters of the book of Jeremiah don't give us specific dates, times. Um, it's a, a general collection of, of Jeremiah's prophetic words. But we saw last week, Jeremiah is gonna start giving us very specific moments in which very specific words of God are addressed. Uh, and we'll see that again uh, uh, this morning. So in chapter 24, we see Jeremiah having a prophetic vision. 
And again, the time uh, is given us. It's just after King Jehoiakim, um, Josiah's grandson, was taken prisoner uh, by King Nebuchadnezzar along with 10,000 of the officials and skilled craftsmen of Judah. They're all dragged off to Babylon. Um, and the people who are left behind um, might be thinking themselves in a good position that they didn't suffer this judgment. And it's at this moment God gave Jeremiah a vision of two baskets of figs at the entrance of the temple. The good figs, very good. The bad figs, very bad, so bad they cannot be eaten. And this vision laid out uh, what for his audience uh, might have been an unexpected assessment of the people who had just been taken into captivity and of those who remain in the land. The assumption in Jerusalem uh, would have been that those already exiled were the bad figs in God's sight, but those who remain in the land constituted the good figs. In the face of this optimism, Jeremiah reminds them there is worse in store yet, and the final judgment has not yet come. To those in exile, God said, I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. Uh, even more so, God tells them that I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. So after these, this first wave of exiles had experienced judgment, God promised that he would work heart renewal in them, granting them the gift of faith and repentance. To those remaining in Jerusalem, the bad figs, God declared that he would treat them like bad figs, which are good for nothing but destruction. Um, and while we wrestled last week with the issue of, of uh, fairness from a human perspective, uh, we came to this recognition that in reality, all the inhabitants of Judah were guilty of iniquity and idolatry, but God, out of his covenant faithfulness and mercy, pledged to reckon some as good and act graciously toward them. So today, in Jeremiah chapter 25, the prophet takes us back to a different moment in the history of not just Judah, but the whole ancient world. So um, again, even though they're dated, they're not arranged chronologically. <laughs> so we're actually going back in time uh, from chapter 24 to chapter 25. Um, and this chapter will remind, will remind us that God is not just some local deity of an obscure people, but he... Uh, Yahweh alone is the God over all the nations. And even as God uses some nations like the Babylonians to punish Judah for its violations of the covenant, so too will God hold those nations accountable for their sinful actions toward his people. Um, and back in chapter 1, we saw God uh, appoint Jeremiah to be, quote, a prophet to the nations. And it's in this chapter and uh, in later chapters uh, as well, we see Jeremiah faithfully live out that calling, uh, not just a prophet um, to Judah, but a prophet to the nations. And so the nations are going to um, form a, a lot of the focus, um, especially in the latter half of chapter 25. So with that as a word of introduction, let me uh, read for us uh, Jeremiah chapter 25, and you can find this on page 652 if you have an ESV. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, 
which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For 23 years, from the, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. You have ne neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets, saying, Turn now every one of you from his evil way and evil deeds and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction. I will make them a horror, a hissing, an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after the 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it, Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, its kings and officials, to make them a desolation, a waste, a hissing, and a curse as at this day. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his servants, his officials, all his people, and all the mixed tribes among them, the kings of the land of Uz and the kings of the land of the Philistines, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and the remnant of Ashdod, Edom, Moab and the sons of Ammon, all the kings of Tyre, all the kings of Sire, Sidon, all the kings of the coastland across the sea, Dedan, Tema, Buzz, and all who cut the corners of their hair, all the kings of Arabia, and all the kings of the mixed tribes who dwell in the desert, all the kings of Zimri, all the kings of Elam, all the kings of Media, all the kings of the north, far and near, one after another, and all the kingdoms of the world that are on the face of the earth, and after them the king of Babylon shall drink. Then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Drink, be drunk, and vomit, fall and rise no more, because of the sword that I am sending among you. And if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, You must drink, 
For behold, I begin to work disaster at the city that is called by my name, and shall you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, for I am summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth, declares the Lord of hosts. You, therefore, shall prophesy against them all these words and say to them, The Lord will roar from on high and from his holy habitation utter his voice. He will roar mightily against his fold and shout like those who tread grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. The clamor will resound to the ends of the earth and the Lord has an indictment against the nations. He is entering into judgment with all flesh and the wicked he will put to the sword, declares the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, disaster is going forth from nation to nation, and a great tempest is stirring from the farthest points of the parts of the earth. And those pierced by the Lord on that day shall extend from one end of the earth to the other. They shall not be lamented or gathered or buried. They shall be dung on the surface of the ground. Wail, you shepherds, and cry out, and roll in ashes, you lords of the flock. For the days of your slaughter and, and dispersion have come, and you shall fall like a choice vessel. No refuge will remain for the shepherds, nor escape for the lords of the flock. A voice, the cry of the shepherds, and the wail of the lords of the flock. For the Lord is laying waste their pasture, and the peaceful folds are devastated. Because of the fierce anger of the Lord, like a lion, he has left his lair, for their land has become a waste because of the sword of the oppressor and because of his fierce anger. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we talk uh, together of it uh, this morning. Okay, so uh, last week uh, we were in year one of King Zedekiah. <laughs> this week, chapter 25, is putting us back to the fourth year of Jehoiakim. So um, what, why start like, giving us a very specific um, date here? Like, what do we know about this moment that might make it a, a good moment in which to give this particular prophecy? And the text tells us it's not a joke. <laughs> it's not one of these trick questions I ask. Well, not up on my uh, history, but it does tell us this is the first year of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon. When he begins to reign, so the first year of Yeah, this, the, as we think, this is a significant moment for Judah. Because, as we're told here, Nebuchadnezzar is the instrument of God's judgment. And he is going to take Judah into captivity for 70 years. So if we're kind of like, uh, you know, even though we're in Jehoiakim, it's still, you know, you know, fourth year of Jehoiakim. It's still more than a decade, almost two decades in the future. The, for, for, from a Judah perspective, the instrument of God's judgment on his people has taken the throne. Um, and from like a world history pers perspective, uh, in Nebuchadnezzar's first year in 605 uh, BC, uh, he defeated the Egyptians at the Battle of Carchemish. 
So as like on a world power stage, um, if it was roughly balanced before going back and forth between Egypt and uh, the Babylonians, uh, we've, we've just had a power shift. <laughs> um, so Egypt has just been soundly defeated at the Battle of Carchemish. Um, and, and so uh, it's a good moment to sort of think about um, God working judgment, not just on his people, but all the nations. Because um, we, we see, uh, it, it, you know, it, it's a world-changing historical moment um, might be a way to think about it. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, and if, as we think of this maybe as like a, a summative moment, like deliver all the words at once, flip with me over to chapter 36 of Jeremiah. Something else happens this same year. So uh, Jeremiah chapter 36. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I've spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah until today. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster I intend to do to them so that everyone may turn from his evil way and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. So if we kind of couple those two, two moments in time, and notice in, back in chapter 25, there's actually a reference uh, in verse 13. Um, uh, I will bring upon the land, that land all the words that I've uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. So some people have sort of taken, this is the book. <laughs> like, what, what is Jeremiah writing down and presenting to King Jehoiakim in Jehoiakim's fourth year? Um, Jeremiah 1 through 25. <laughs> uh, everything you've said from the beginning until now, and, 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 and give it to the king. And uh, again, I don't want to spoil too many spoilers alert. Jehoiakim burns it. Um, you know, it, so like, it's this moment where God is offering repentance, like, you know, turn, uh, turn. That is, and as we get into the message that Jeremiah is presenting to the people here, and indeed the message he's saying has come from all the prophets, this is a moment, like, yeah, it's a world historical moment for, because of Nebuchadnezzar's rise and victory over the Egyptians, it's an important moment for them to, it's an opportunity for them to repent and express faith and trust in the midst of these world changing circumstances. Uh, who are you gonna trust? Who are you gonna follow? Are you going to be a people of God's covenant and listen to the prophets? Or are you gonna be a people who stubbornly pursue your own path and get swept up into world politics? 
You know, it's a moment that God, in which God is calling his people to faithfulness in the midst of a, a changing world in which things are, uh, as Dave said, changing rapidly. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, let's hold on that. Let's 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 come to the cup of wrath. Let's focus because the way that because I want to focus uh, first on what the message is um, that God is giving to the people in Judah, and then we'll get to the message that that God is giving to the nations of the world, which is where we get the cup of wrath. But let's start. Let's start with what God is saying to. Uh, so in verses 3 through 7, Jeremiah is first addressing the people of Jerusalem um, and uh, giving a summary of his own ministry as well as the ministry of other prophets up to this point. So what, what is Jeremiah emphasizing in verses 3 to 7? How is he summarizing his own ministry and the ministry of other prophets to Judah up to this point? <laughs> yeah, the, and you're absolutely right. Uh, I have spoken persistently to you. Um, the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants. Um, and so, yeah, there has been a persistence on God's part and on the part of God's prophets like Jeremiah to consistently, persistently present the word of God faithfully to the people. And as Jay says, um, the, the refrain has, I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. Um, and then ver again in verse 7, uh, yet you have not listened. So he is persistently speaking to them, and they are persistently refusing to hear. Uh, and notice again, it's, it's not like, not, uh, oh, I didn't hear. <laughs> it's I'm uh, choosing not to hear. It's like when my mom used to call my name while I was playing video games or something. And like, no, I didn't hear that. Didn't hear that one either. <laughs> Maybe when I get through this round, I'll hear it. And uh, yeah, and eventually uh, <laughs> she made me hear. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's that, um, uh, as, as Jay said, like it's a persistent stubbornness um, to, to hear, to acknowledge the voice of God. Good. What else uh, does Jeremiah remind us of his and the, the ministry of other prophets in Judah and Jerusalem up to this point? Yeah, it's a call to repentance. Like, it's, you know, sometimes we can get bogged down into the specific details of different prophets, but their consistent, persistent message is repent. <laughs> um, turn from your evil deeds. Turn back to the, the covenant that I've given you. And, and notice, like, it's not just negative here. Like, it's, you know, the promises that, that the fruits that come from repentance, um, you know, the blessings that come from repentance and faithful obedience to God's covenant. You get to dwell in the land. You, you get to receive the promises that I gave your forefathers before you. All that good will come to you 
if you repent, if you turn. Yeah, turn is the central, like, if we had to summarize what the message of the prophets that Jared turned. <laughs> turn from your sin, turn to God. Teresa, you want to? Yeah, they've not listened. And, um, and to that point, forefathers, um, uh, before Jay mentions Deuteronomy, because I'm sure he will, um, all, all these like commands that, you know, do not go after other gods and serve them. Um, you know, all these promises, you know, you'll dwell in the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers of old and forever. All that's straight out of Deuteronomy. Like, again, he's taking the book, God's covenant book, um, his covenant law with his people, and he's, he's holding that before them again. Like, look, here, there's, like we saw a couple weeks ago, there's a path of life and there's a path that leads to death. Um, God has laid out um, uh, his good intentions for his people if they turn from their sin and turn to him. Um, and you know, as we get the, it's, uh, as Grant said, it's a, it's a, it gives us the content of the message that Jeremiah and the other um, prophets have presented, and it gives us the, the people's response. So, like, we, we hear what God has, has said, and we've, we've gotten God's action. His, he's persistently sent and persistently called um, through these prophets as people to turn from their sin, to turn toward him. Um, and they have, we get their action, they've refused to listen um, and have stubborn, stubbornly provoked me to anger with the work of their hands. So it's not just, you know, they haven't listened to God, they, they've actively done the things God has commanded them not to do. Um, and we can take that, like, um, people take... Uh, you provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. We know in some places that can be a um, uh, a way of expressing idols, you know, that they've made with their own hands, or it could just be a reference to everything they've done, <laughs> all like all their works um, of their hands have been evil. So it, whether it's a specific you've made idols with your hands or everything you do <laughs> has been bad. Um, the work of their hands has clearly provoked God um, to, to righteous anger. And, and God, has, God has every right to, to be angry. And no, notice that, that twice repeated phrase there in verses six and seven, provoke me to anger. Uh, you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. So, you know, they are hurting themselves by their own sinful actions.
I, I love that. <laughs> yeah, it, and absolutely, like, you know, it, and it's like, you, you think of like, uh, you're smarter than me, so you've probably never done this. Like, you've worked hard on a project um, around the house or something, and you've worked, and you've worked, and you worked, and then you realize, I've made it so much worse than when I started. Like, you know, the fruit of your labor uh, hasn't brought you know, hasn't brought fruitfulness, it hasn't brought uh, abundance, uh, it's brought an abundance of condemnation. Um, it's, it's furthered your own destruction, and the wages of sin is death. We, you know, and, and that, that idea of recompense is all throughout this chapter, like, you know, uh, when, when he turns to the Babylonians and the other nations, I will recompense them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. So, so that is a, a persistent theme through this chapter. He's judging his people, um, the people of his covenant, by the work of their hands, and he's going to judge the whole world. Um, all the nations are going to be recompensed for the work of their own hands. So if we have to depend <laughs> on the work of our own hands, we're, we're, we're in trouble <laughs> um, because the wages of sin is, is death. Um, uh, so, you know, as we see this judgment unfold in this chapter, it's starting with his own people, but it's not stopping there. Like, he, he's the righteous judge of the earth. He's not just the God of this one particular tiny little uh nation on the border of the Mediterranean, he's the God of the whole earth, and he's going to hold everyone accountable for the work of their own hands. Other things you want to say about what he says to Judah before we switch? Yeah, Dave. No, no, we're, yeah, we're getting there. Um, before we get to, to the cup of wrath, and the nations, um, uh, he, he tells us what he's going to do um, to his people, not just, like, the judgment that's coming is not just generic, um, it's specific destruction being wrought um, by a specific person, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who, yeah, what do we think of him calling Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, my servant. Yes, Cynthia. Oh, Teresa first. Cynthia's yielding the floor to you, Teresa. I'm parliamentarian today. Yeah, he's an instrument. He, he's, a, he's a tool. So, like, as we think of, you know, servant, that's not, um, a, like, because we know, like, later, you know, somebody being called a servant of God references their following of God, but I think you're right, Teresa. In this case, um, God calling him a servant, he's calling him an instrument. Um, you know, he is uh, a lackey <laughs> who is doing what God uh, is intending to, to, the judgment God's intending to bring to his people, he's going to do it through his underling, Nebuchadnezzar. Cynthia.
Yeah, and it is the same word. So, like, so you're right to go to Joshua. So this word, devote to destruction, or the ban, as it's sometimes been um, uh, translated um, or um, put forward, this, this idea of the people being under this ban, under this complete destructiveness. And it is, uh, again, like as, as Landon said earlier, the irony. Like, this land was, was conquered by God putting the people of the land, these nations of the, of the Canaanites, under the ban. He's devoted them to destruction to, to give this land for his people. But now, because of his people's persistent and consistent sin, he is putting his own people in the same land. He's devoting them to, to destruction um, at the hands of this pagan king um, from the coming from the north. Um, again, it doesn't make sense to us because it's like we're like, no, Babylon's to the east, and like, no, it's coming from the north. <laughs> you don't cross a desert; you follow the river. <laughs> um, so you know, so this king from the north is is going to be the instrument, God's instrument, um, to to uh, exercise judgment on this people and devoting them to the same kind of destruction that the original inhabitants of the land met at the hands of God's people. Good. Other things you want to say about uh, Nebuchadnezzar here? Like, what do you tell us? Yeah, Dave. And we're getting we're getting closer to the <laughs> to that cup. And notice here, like uh, you know, just because Nebuchadnezzar is God's servant in in verse nine um, doesn't mean that uh, that he he gets free reign to do whatever he wants. Like verse twelve. Then after seventy years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans. For their iniquity declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. So it's he's using that Nebuchadnezzar as an instrument of uh, a tool of judgment on his people. But Nebuchadnezzar, too, stands under judgment and will receive uh, recompense. Scott, you're going to. That's what I was looking for. Iniquity will be judged. Yeah, iniquity, you know, iniquity will be recompensed. It will be judged. Um, the work of uh, the hands of the people of Judah will be judged as well as the work of the hands of the Babylonians. So um, it's this, you know, as we think about um, what this chapter is establishing, it's very much like that the first chapters of Romans. Like it's, it's establishing the principle that everyone stands condemned, um, both the, the nations um, as well as uh, God's specific people. The order's flipped. Here he's starting with his people and going out. Um, uh, it, it's kind of like, uh, I was thinking a lot of this um, 
you know, judgment is starting with his people and then it goes to all the nations. Um, and the same way we see in Acts, uh, the good news, the gospel is proclaimed in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of earth. So just as judgment kind of starts with his people and goes to all the nations, so salvation comes through his people and through them to all the nations. So it's this beautiful symmetry in how God is acting. Yeah, and the land, again, you raised this, um, uh, I can't remember if it was last week or two weeks ago, that the land itself suffers because like this, this bountiful, fruitful land he's, he's given them, it itself um, feels the curse that's coming upon his people. The land will be made a waste, um, he's telling us. All right, finally, Dave, we're to ask your question about the cup of wrath. which is drink this cup of wrath. <laughs> Uh, it, the cup of wrath is used in other places. I didn't compare to see like the specifics of how it gets used, but yes, cup of wrath is a, a very, like, I've got my list of cup of wrath references. Um, it is a fairly common metaphor throughout the Old Testament. Um, Psalm 16, for example, Psalm 23, uh, um, Habakkuk 2, Ezekiel chapter 23, Isaiah chapter 51. Um, uh, and then we see it get carried forward in the, the New Testament as well. So it's not just the cup of wrath. Is it just an Old Testament uh, reference? It's a New Testament um, reference. And it appears most in what book might you think? Cynthia should know this. <laughs> Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're, you'll get there, as Cynthia will know. Like I just, uh, yeah. So, so it, it's a, it's a description not just of, um, like immediate judgment befalling people, but when we think of this, he, he's really talking about that ultimate judgment that all humanity stands under. Um, and uh, again, as we think of this cup, I love the way um, uh, uh, Derek Kidner. Um, uh, kind of addressed what you asked, Dave. He said, the cup which dominates this passage is by no means confined to it. Gethsemane has made it poignant for us by our Lord's acceptance of it in our place. Like, so as we, yes, the cup of wrath is, is it, it dominates this section. Um, it is used throughout the Old Testament to describe the judgment that God is bringing 
against uh, humanity for its sinfulness. Um, and the New Testament says that's the cup that Christ drinks on our behalf. That, that wrath, that, that cup from which we should drink God's wrath and judgment, he has taken that drink for us. So as we, like again, this is a very kind of like dark chapter. It's a chapter full of judgment. It's full of people drinking, and as Dave says, being forced to drink. Uh, from this cup of destruction. They have no choice. They stand under judgment. Um, but uh, just as Jeremiah is called to proclaim this judgment to the nations, um, that proclaiming judgment is also a proclamation of salvation because the God who's bringing this judgment is also the, the God who um, brings deliverance from it. So as we think of the totality, and um, oh, let's see, I, I wrote it down somewhere. The word all shows up 27 times in this chapter. So like, uh, again, he's starting with his people, but you know, in Jerusalem, but it's all the people in Jerusalem, um, all the people of Judah. Uh, it's all the nations of the earth. It's, it's the totality uh, of God's judgment uh, on the world is being encompassed by this chapter. Yeah, and notice like the progression, like you know, it, it starts, so I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. Where does it start? Jerusalem, the cities of Judah. And then where does it go next? Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his servants, his officials, all his people, all the kings of the land of Uz, the kings of the land of Philistine. So we start, like, we start in, start in Judah, go down to Egypt, and now we're swinging back up the coastline. Um, and it you know, like, we don't know where Buzz is. <laughs> I'll just admit that. Um, all the kings of the Arabia, all the kings of the mixed tribe who dwell in the desert, the kings of Zimri, the kings of... So, so now we've kind of arced over um, to the east. All the kings of the north, the far, and after them the king of Babylon shall drink. You, you might um, see there's a little note there. Um, it actually uses a code name for Babylon, uh, Shishak. Uh, you learn new things all the time, so I have to share the new thing I learned. Um, so this is called, hold on, i got to get the word. Um, sorry, wrong page of notes. Um, so uh, this is, like, where is it? I've got too many, this is probably when I, I do too many notes. Um, Shishak, Shishak, Shishak. Um, it, it's, it's a wordplay. Here we go, wrong page. I was looking at page three when I should have been looking at two. Um, so, so Shishak, uh, it's a, um, it, it takes the, you take the um, letters, so Babel, B, B, L, so if you count the consonants, so Hebrew's only consonants, so, so B is two, two again, L is 12, so two, two, 12, then you start at the backwards of the Hebrew alphabet, do two, 
to 12, it gives you Shishak. <laughs> so it's this, um, it's kind of like if, you, like, so, you know, do you have a way of doing code names? Like, what's your, what, what, how are you going to pick your false name? Like, do you want to do this? Like, you take your middle name and your street name, so I'm, I would become Russell Parmenter. Um, so it's that, it's a way, Shishak is this kind of like way of saying Babylon without um, specifically saying Babylon. Um, but, um, but yeah, it starts with God's people and it ends in this projection with, with Babylon. And it's the same pattern, as Cynthia says, as we see in the book of, of Revelation. And it's, it's this beautiful way of depicting the totality of God's judgment on all the nations. Good, what else uh, stands out to you um, about um, these verses in which God is declaring his actions uh, against these nations? Well, again, if you think of, like, he's starting with his people, and then he's describing all the people around them. So, so he's kind of, like, starting with the bottom part of the compass, <laughs> and he's going around. So, so, and he's ending with Babylon. So if you kind of think of Egypt as being one anchor of their world, like, one end, like, as far as the west is from the west, like, you know, It'd be like the way we would say from California to Maine. Like, you know, it's, he's doing the sweep. Um, so he's, he's starting with his people and then he's sweeping. Uh, and again, it's kind of geographically, he, he starts in the south and then goes n north and then around. Um. I mean, some people, like, like again, why, why this year? This is the, like, they, they take the year and sort of, like, this is the year that, yeah, Babylon really smacks the Egyptians good. <laughs> um, this is the year uh, Nebuchadnezzar smacks the Philistines really good. So, so some people have sort of you know, looked at these verses and say, this isn't prophecy, this is current events. Um, Jeremiah is looking around and he's seeing Nebuchadnezzar laying, you know, Judah, like he's cap captured, captures Judah, he captures Egypt, like all these nations. So, um, so some people look at it as, as present tense. Um, I think it's, it's, it's future and I think ultimately it, it's this, um, you know, it, it's, the, it's a description of the judgment. Like he's using the initial what's going on in their moment uh, to represent, again, the, the wrath that all nations of the earth 
um, deserve, and the description of, you know, we, we get that, that phrase, in that day, shows up um, in these words, in, in, yeah, in these words, um, what God is going to do in that day, and especially when we get to the end, like, um, wail, you shepherds, and cry out, roll in ashes, you lords of the flock, um, no refuge will remain for the shepherds, nor escape from the lords of the flock. Um, it, it's very reminiscent of um, when we get to, to Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapter 6. The kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So, you know, as God often does with prophecy, like he, he's addressing the immediate and the ultimate all through the same words. Like, so he can use the same description of Judah's immediate history but through that, to, to proclaim and declare that you know, what befalls all the peoples, all the nations of the earth, um, this cup of wrath, unless someone else takes that cup of wrath and drinks it for them. But the, the emphasis is, is on the totality of God's judgment. Yeah, so, so a couple things. So first, let me take the, the um, making them drink. And I love this. Um, For behold, I begin to work disaster at the city that is called by my name. And shall you go unpunished? Like, it's sort of like, um, these are the people who I love. <laughs> and look what I'm doing to them. And you think you're going to get off? <laughs> uh, think again, buddy. Um, but, but then it goes into... Um, the, the characteristics of, of, of God's and God's righteous indignation. Um, and and we, we get lots of um, uh, symbolic pictures of what that looks like. And the first one, as Scott mentioned, is uh, you know, this description of, of God as a lion. Uh, so in, in verse 30, the Lord will roar from on high. He will roar mightily against his fold. Um, and then, uh, like a lion, he has left, their la left his lair, for their land has become a waste because of the sword of their oppressor and because of his fierce anger. So in describing God's righteous indignation um, against his people and against all the nations, he is like a lion, um, and he's roaring, um, and, and he has left his lair in judgment. Um, and is, is going to consume everything before them, for their land ha has become a waste. Good. What else? What other pictures are we given of God's judgment here? So God's like a lion um, in his, his righteous anger. How else? Is God depicted in enacting his righteous judgment here? 
a whirlwind, a storm. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, he, he's unleashed. This great tempest is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's this tempest. It's a hurricane of destruction, a tornado of destruction uh, that, that is coming. And it's going forth from nation to nation. A great tempest is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. Um, and those pierced by the, day, by the Lord on that day shall extend from one end of the earth to the other. So, um, again, we, we're moving from proximate um, judgment on the nations to that ultimate universal judgment that God has against all the peoples of the earth who stand, again, who, who stand in judgment um, because of the work of their hands, because of their own deeds. And because if, if that's what we're trusting in, if that's what we're relying in, we're, all the peoples of the earth, and us included, are doomed. Because um, we all have worked iniquity. Um, and the wages of that iniquity, to go back to what Landon said, is death. Um, destruction. Complete and other waste. Um, and it is because of God's fierce but righteous anger that this judgment um, is, is, has come against peoples and is, is coming in the ultimate sense. So again, proximate and ultimate all at the same time through the same set of prophetic word. Yeah, Grant. Um, so, yeah, so, and again, like with Babylon, like it, it's giving us a very specific time, like 70 years, like <laughs> can't get much more specific than that. Like um, how long is this going to, you know, do we have to wait until the king of Babylon? 70 years, like, you know, um, and, you know, it is very specific. Um, so I, uh, as we think about it, it's, what Babylon comes to represent and symbolize in the New Testament. Um, and again, to think of how, uh, as Cynthia said, how Babylon functions in, in Revelation as the, uh, as the national part personification of the Antichrist. Like, you know, the way Babylon is symbolically used. Um, and, and the way, like, there are lots of different ways I, I try to think about this um, and actually, um, uh, we were talking about this uh, uh, after Sunday school a couple weeks ago. Um, I was talking uh, to Alicia, um, and I can never remember. I think it's Louis Laveau is the gardener. Um, but anyway, there, there's this French garden design. I remember um, when I took this uh, architecture class, art architecture class in, in college, and he would design like his gardens where you'd look out from a vista and it looked like it would look like kind of like everything is all part of one scene like 
But then when you start walking out into it, you realize that what you're seeing like flat is actually like multiple stages. And that's the way I always think about these kind of prophecies. Like when you look at it from one, you know, immediate perspective, you know, it, it looks like it's, and it's being given to us like all at, at one scene. Um, but then when we get in time and chronologically, we can see this one scene actually is multiple levels that are, are being um, displayed over time. And I, totally forgetting on the fancy art word I learned to describe what that technique was called. Um, but it's that kind of, it's the way, that's the way I think about it. Like, so from a human perspective, like, it's coming to us as like all one complete God, God designed scene that's going to unfold in stages. Um, and as we live through it, like we'll see how it comes in stages. And how this back king of Babylon relates to that, that king of Babylon, um, that, to that city of Babylon, um, as we see it in the book of Revelation. I don't know if that answers your question, but, but that's how I think of it. Like, I, I don't have a great answer, to be honest, but, but that's the way I think of it. Like, I have a friend in, um, in Durham who always asks me, like, can you give me a list of the unfulfilled prophecies? And I'm like, no. Because <laughs> even the ones who've been fulfilled might still be unfulfilled. So <laughs> um, God, God doesn't play the same. <laughs> uh, God, God doesn't act the way we act. Like, he, he can act so far beyond. And, and, um, and you know, because he's, he's created it all. So, and he's outside it all. So he can see it and talk about it in ways that, make my head explode. Cynthia. Yeah, yeah, and it's the way that God, you know, even now, like, knows what he's going to say in Revelation, <laughs> like, so he, he can anticipate it. Landon, we're Proximate. Yeah, they get judged immediately for what they're doing. <laughs> um, just like, and it's very similar um, to, to the way um, God talks about the Assyrians in the book of Isaiah. Like, he, he tells them, I'm bringing the Assyrians against you, and this is why, this is what you've done that's, that's brought the Assyrians against you, and then I'm going to smack the Assyrians down for what they just did to you, <laughs> even though I'm the one who brought them. So, um, it's this, like, even as God's using nations to hold uh, his people or call his people um, to, to judgment or to enact judgment on his people, he's going to bring judgment on them for their iniquity. So, it, again, it's total. <laughs> um, so as we come away with our kind of... Um, uh, takeaways um, from this uh, chapter. I like wrote down, uh, Kidner ends this section by, uh, summarizes it by saying, man proposes, 
God disposes. <laughs> um, and you know, the entire section stresses that Yahweh's action is not restricted to Israel, but extends to all the known nations. Um, leaders are not to act if they are gods or owners of the countries they rule or the ones they capture. They are not all powerful, they are mortals. Um, they too will face the wrath of God for the delinquent way they've led them. So, uh, you know, as we come out of this chapter, uh, the emphasis is, again, all, 27 times shows up um, in, in this chapter, all stand under judgment. All are, have to drink this cup of wrath, um, except Christ takes that cup of wrath, which we have to drink and drinks it for us. And so even though this chapter is full of judgment, um, because we have the new, we, we also have the hope. Um, the same God that brings the judgment is the same God who uh, can save us from the judgment that we righteously, rightly deserve. All right, well, let me uh, close our time in prayer. Thanks for a great uh, discussion this morning. Uh, Almighty God, we do um, uh, give you praise um, for uh, who you are, that you are a just God, um, and you're a loving God, uh, and that uh, in the cross of Christ we see um, your love and your judgment uh, meet, that um, you so love the world that you sent your son uh, to die for us while we were yet sinners. Um, and uh, he, uh, in that death, uh, takes the, the penalty, drinks that cup of wrath that our sin um, so rightly deserves. Um, our response, uh, Lord, should be joy um, and uh, uh, giving you all the praise uh, and glory and honor as we acknowledge uh, that the work of our hands, um, the things that our deeds deserve um, uh, are the wages uh, of sin, uh, are uh, the penalty of death. Um, but you have given us life through our Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Holy Spirit working uh, in and through us as it brings us into union and conformity with our Savior. We pray that uh, you would uh, give us um, gladness um, as we come to worship you in this coming hour, um, knowing uh, what our sin deserves, um, the, the complete and total destruction that our sin deserves. But what a great salvation we have in, our, uh, in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that um, we would give him all uh, glory and laud and honor uh, with our lips, uh, but also with our hearts and hands uh, as we uh, go from here to serve him. Uh, fill us with your spirit and help us uh, long for him and the coming of his kingdom. And we ask all these things in his matchless name by the power of your spirit. Amen.